A reading from Acts. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. The word of the Lord. A reading from John. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is the truth. The word of the Lord. Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Please be seated. If you're thinking there's something out of sequence with the readings today, you're right. Uh, but remember, we get to do this for 50 days, that is, experience Easter, re-experience Easter, so that we're invited to re-contemplate what the resurrected life is all about so that we can in join it. So today the readings are a little bit funny because Pentecost hasn't happened yet for us, but in Acts it already has, and the gospel happens 
Actually, this is the night of Maundy Thursday, so this is the Thursday before Easter Sunday, which we already did. And the reason we're going forward and backward is because after the resurrection, we're invited to hear Jesus' words with a different frame of reference in mind. And even before Pentecost, we get to hear how the dispensation of the Holy Spirit offers to inform our resurrected life. At least that's what I hope we're going to do today. If I fail, there's lots of art to look at. <laughs> um, so, Maundy Thursday. This is the night where Jesus looks at his disciples who are perfectly capable of washing their own feet. He looks at them able to deal with their own problems, but for whatever reason they don't, and he sees not someone to shame or to guilt into taking better care of themselves. He sees a need, he can meet it, and he does. And Jesus says, this is what love is all about. Taking care of needs when they present themselves in people we know, in people we know don't like us, because remember who was there on Monday, Thursday? Judas. Jesus kneels and washes Judas's dirty feet, fully aware of what Judas is about to do. And this is Jesus' new commandment, his mandate from which we get the word Mondi. Love one another as I have loved you. Now culturally, love is a feeling. Isn't it a wonderful feeling to be in love? I had that feeling so often the first two years of my marriage. <laughs> it was a wonderful time. And then that feeling left one day. <laughs> Not for good, mind you, but it left. And if I'd left with it, I wouldn't have made it the last 12. I suspect for many of you this would be the same. Because even though I made these vows with lots of feelings, I haven't always felt like keeping them. Surely this is what Jesus has in mind. Not that we feel like being lovely, but that we have committed ourselves to doing it. Who feels like washing somebody's dirty feet, who is able to wash their feet themselves and frankly should know better than to be walking around with dirty feet? My mom. I don't know anybody else. <laughs> Your mom, maybe. Not me. <laughs> Jesus does this regardless of his feeling because of his commitment. And he says, greater love has no one than this, than that they lay down their life for their friends. Now, friends, it's very possible we hear Jesus saying something like, be willing to die. And you know what? There's times maybe where that's appropriate. But I want to suggest to you that there's a different way to hear it, which is be willing to live. It's occurred to me that if you really think God is out to get you, it would be preferable to sacrifice your life in a few minutes to get God's pleasure than to have to live the rest of your life constantly in fear that you are not enough. I'm not sure if that made sense. If eternal hell or heaven are at stake and 50 years of faithfulness is daunting for you, which I think it's daunting for everybody, if God has got a checklist, good and bad, and at the end, if there's more checks and bad, you're in trouble. 
And there's an easy alternative. Just die in a blaze of glory and you go to heaven and you don't have to do all that faithful stuff. That's why people fly planes into the World Trade Center. Because who can bear a committed life of 50 years over five minutes? I want to suggest to you that that happens regardless of your faith tradition. That happened during the Crusades, where people were allowed to indiscriminately kill women and children, Muslims and Christians, for God's glory. And if they did it, they went to heaven when they died, regardless of how they lived. I am positive God does not have that kind of love in mind. I'm positive that laying down your life does not mean that. I'm positive that being committed to somebody, regardless of how you feel, is exactly what laying your life down is all about. Because to do the right thing when I don't feel like it, I've got to lay something down. And that's why we get to hear the story, I think, about Peter today. Now, the lectionary presumes you know the Bible really well. And many of you know this story, but just a little bit of background. Peter is up on a roof praying to God. He's a good Jewish guy. He keeps all the right rules. And all of a sudden he has a vision, whether this actually happened or happened in his mind's eye, there is a sheet, like a bed sheet, that lowers from the sky, and on it are all kinds of yucky things. Well, yucky if you're Jewish. Uh, not if you live in New Orleans. These are great things, like shellfish and gator tail and snakes and crawfish and camels and um, rabbits and horses and pigs. And there's a voice from heaven that says, kill and eat. And Peter says, no way, those things are gross. I won't touch them. Never have, never will, because after all, we know that grossness is like a virus. <laughs> Once you touch it, you could be infested with it, and then you can't be around anybody else. In fact, this is true of the law of Peter's time. If you go around touching unclean animals, eating unclean food, you're unclean, and you can't be around other clean people. You can't go home to your family at night. You could infect them. You've got to go live in quarantine somewhere until like the grossness runs out of your system, which could take, well, depends on how gross it is, how long it takes. We all get that, right? Really gross things take longer than less gross things, uh, particularly when we're talking about shellfish and fruit bats and pigs. So Peter says, no, no, I won't touch any of those gross things. And the voice from heaven says, I didn't make anything gross. There ain't anything unclean under the earth because I made it all. Peter doesn't get it the first time, which is why there's hope for us. Um, the sheet comes down, not once, not twice, but thrice, and in each occasion, Peter says, no way. As soon as this happens the last time, Peter has to hear, nothing's gross, God made all that stuff. He gets invited by a Gentile, a man named Cornelius. The invitation says, Peter, I was praying, and God told me to invite you specifically to come into my home and tell me more about God. Um, no Jewish person would go in that home because Gentile people are like fruit bats and rock badgers and shellfish. Gross. They eat that stuff, they touch that stuff, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. 
if Peter goes in the house, he can't go home to his own house that night. He knows that before he goes. Now, somehow he musters up the courage to go into the home. He walks on in. He starts saying something. And then, right in front of Peter's eyes, and I didn't really know what this looked like, the Holy Spirit enters Cornelius, and Peter can't deny it. He sees it happen. I guess he could deny it. (laughs) Maybe more on that in a second. He could. Peter chooses not to deny it, and he says, Oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit has accepted people that are inherently unacceptable. And that's great. (laughs) He chooses to say that's great. And, And then he says, why don't you go ahead and get the water baptism, the lesser form, since you already got the important one. And that's the deal. I want to tell you, I think this story happens in reverse of the sequence of events in my life. I've spent time, and I suspect everybody in the room has had one or two moments, possibly more, but at least one or two moments of being around somebody you knew was less than. You can fill in the blank how. Maybe they had less grades than you have, and you both knew it, and you knew that was wrong. Maybe they had less income. Maybe they belonged to a political party that you knew was less than yours. Maybe they belonged to a denomination that you knew was less than yours. I mean, they weren't, not everybody's an Episcopalian, like we know that. <laughs> and somehow, in a moment, you were talking to this person, or with this person, that you knew that was less than, and the Holy Spirit fell not on them, but on you. And your eyes opened and you realized they never were less than you. They were always just like you. See, I've never had the Holy Spirit make somebody less than, more than. I've only ever had the Holy Spirit open my eyes to realize the whole less than business was my prejudice, my fault, and that I needed new life in me. I have not always chosen to listen to that voice. There are times where the Holy Spirit has revealed to me that the people who are less than in front of me are not less than, and I have not listened. It takes Peter multiple attempts, so I'm hopeful. (laughs) I'm hopeful. If we were listening to the whole story about the sheet, I would probably ask you to think about who is in your sheet of gross unclean. Is it registered Democrats? Is it registered Republicans? Is it Libertarians? Who's in your sheet of gross, unacceptable, less than, stubborn, ought to know better than what they're doing? Is it Lutherans? Is it Roman Catholics? Is it Southern Baptists? Is it people who are clearly broken by the wheels of life? People that even a child could say, there's something not right with that person. Is it people with subtle 
mental illness. Who is it that is difficult for you to accept as clean because God made them? We'd spend more time on that if that was the whole story, but it isn't. Today the question is, what is stopping us from living out this commandment that Jesus says to love one another as God has loved us? What is stopping us from practicing love with people we'd rather not love? What's stopping us from practicing love with people that we've decided are not worthy of love? What's stopping us from hearing Jesus' words really clearly? You didn't choose me, I chose you. And who did God choose? God chose me. And God chose you. God chose to love you. God chose to love me. We didn't pick to love God first. God picked to love us. And who else did God choose? Well, those people I work with that I don't like. <laughs> those parents that feed their kids sugar and feed my kids sugar when I have to deal with the collateral damage of that. God chose to love them. God chose to love people who call what I believe to be real news fake news. God chose to love those people. And if I'm going to live out the greatest commandment to love one another, I think the resurrection is inviting us to lay some of ourselves down to love people that we can't. Now, this is going to sound really weird, and it probably is, but I was reading this book <laughs> this week, uh, and it had some research in there by John Gottman, <clears throat> who is a really famous marriage counselor who also has done some other um, sort of counseling, and he talked about this difficulty we have with judging other people, and I sure thought, you know, this, this really fits today. You may disagree. There's really fantastic art to look at in the room. Um, John Gottman says, in general, we have four ways of treating difficult emotions. Emotions that surface anytime we're around people and feelings we don't like. Most of these, our parents and our friends taught us because they're coping mechanisms. They were designed to make us feel more comfortable in the world. But shall I start with the positive one? Or do you want to hear the bad ones? <laughs> like the positive one. It's called emotional coaching. Emotional coaching. That's when we recognize that uncomfortable feelings are frankly a part of life. I can't control whether I feel in love with you or not. I can't even control whether I feel in love with my spouse. I would tell you that honestly. I do not feel in love with my spouse every minute of every day. There are some weeks where I wonder if I'm ever going to have that feeling again, but I'm committed to loving my spouse. So do you know what I do with those feelings about like, oh my God, what are we going to do? In certain relationships, I do emotional coaching. I say, this is just a feeling. It's just a feeling. I'm going to recognize it. And I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to stop myself from feeling it. You ever been in control how you feel? 
I've been able to control how I feel about how I feel, but I've never been able to control how I feel. You should feel happy today. <laughs> Good advice. Thanks. I'll do that. <laughs> Emotional coaching is where we tell our kids and our friends what you're feeling is a feeling. We can talk about what to do when you have those feelings, like how we treat other people when we have those feelings, what are appropriate outlets, because, you know, just like going to the bathroom, there's places we do that that are socially acceptable. We need to let that stuff out. And it's not in public, right? It's not always in public. But we've got to let that stuff out, knowing that it runs a chemical cycle and will pass out of us. And then there's three other approaches that are less than that less helpful, either being laissez-faire, dismissive, or of course, worse than dismissive, is judging those feelings. Stop your crying. You shouldn't feel like that. You ever tell yourself you shouldn't feel sad and have that work? Somebody in the room maybe can do that. I cannot tell myself to stop feeling how I'm feeling and have that work out great. We often tell our kids, you know, feelings are a choice. (laughs) Why would you choose to feel any bad feelings? That's not good for you. Of course, our feelings take us to the top of a roller coaster. They're going to come down somewhere question is, where are they going to come down? Are they going to pass through us? Or are they going to pass on to other people that we've decided are not good enough to be with us, quite frankly? And I wonder if all this thinking that sounds probably pretty strange has to do with when we encounter people that we think are less than us for any reason, are we willing to lay down that little bit of ourselves and go through that dark tunnel of grief so that God can do something new in us? Or are we terrified to go through the experience of feeling bad because we think we'll be stuck there forever? By the way, we will not be stuck there forever. Feelings aren't forever. They're not. To be with somebody who we feel for any reason is less than us requires us to lay down our life. Of course, the life that we're laying down has a special biblical word. If I only love people who embody the wishes I have for myself, if I only love people who are easy to love for whatever reason, the biblical word is idolatry because what I'm loving is myself and not them. If I love people who are better looking than I am, I don't actually love them. I'm loving my own wish fulfillment. If I love people who are great conversationalists and make me feel good because they listen really well to me, I'm worshiping an idol. I chose to make vows to my wife that I would love her for better and worse, sickness and in health, in riches and in poverty, whether I felt like it or not, we made a commitment. 
Jesus committed to love people who didn't love him back. Like Judas, Peter, who denied him three times. And he even said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. The resurrected life I put before you is us coming once again to the question, who have we chosen to love? And who have we chosen not to love? And we don't always realize that who we love is a choice. Will we choose to live into the Holy Spirit and the resurrected life by choosing to love people who are unlovable in our lives? That's the question of Easter week six. Will we choose to lay down part of our life to put up with that? Or will we choose to say, get back in the sheet and go on to heaven and I'll see you later? That I put before you is the resurrection journey we have at least this week. Prayers for myself and for you that the Holy Spirit will fall on you this week and that your eyes will be open to see that God has chosen to love the people that are so difficult for us to choose to love and will have the boldness and courage to follow God.